Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Charles, Charles Spurgeon said it well. He said, Beloved, you must go into the furnace if you would have the nearest and dearest dwellings with Christ Jesus. You see, when you walk through or in a fiery furnace, I want you to know something, that Jesus is already there waiting on you. You may be in a fiery furnace this morning, you may be really going through it, you you feel the pressure of life, you feel the stress Life and what you're going through is simply overwhelming. The situation is incredibly painful. There seems to be no way out of what you're in. It seems like the heat just gets getting turned up daily, weekly. It seems like everything is lost. Everything is just simply over. It's really, 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 really hard. And all you can do right now is simply endure until you die. I want to encourage you this morning, you can have a faith that is fit for the fire because you have a Savior who's in it with you. I need you to know this morning that if you're in the fire, you're not alone. And I don't mean that in just some flippant way. I really mean that, that you are not alone, that when bad things happen, you're always asking like me, the questions we ask is, is why did God allow this to happen? And, and why me? And why now? We could spend a long time talking about theodicy, the problem of evil. We could do that here, and I'm well prepared to. But today, I just want you to know that I've come to this conclusion that no matter how many times we answer the what ifs and the whys to God, the question to why does why does God allow things to happen is we're asking really the wrong question, and that is really we need to be asking, does anyone care? And I really think that's what you're really asking. Does God care? Because if he did, why would he allow this to happen? Or if he really cares and he's so powerful, why didn't he stop it? Well, really, at the end of the day, you're asking, does anyone care, even God himself? And I'm here today to tell you, he absolutely does. Because God not only allows you to go through what you're going through, He is in it with you. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. We've been there. Hopefully, by God's grace, we'll finish there this morning. We talked about these courage principles. And by the, uh, by the way, I don't have time to go back and review where we we're going to dive in today. And I've just made that decision. You can listen to the past sermons if you're interested. But I want to look at this last courage principle today, and I want to talk about six ways that we can be confident in the Lord's presence when we're going through the fire. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word in Daniel chapter 3. Justin, would you bring me my water? Thank you, sir. Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. The Bible says, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with what, church? 
So much so that his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace how many times? Seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and in order to cast them into the what? Furnace of blazing fire. These men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who had carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. (laughs) Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded. And he stood up in haste, and he, and he said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound in the midst of the fire? They, they replied to the king, Certainly, O king. And he said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire, and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out! You servants of the Most High God, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had even the smell of fire come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Man, that's a good word, church. You may be seated and may God bless his holy word. I want you to see this, church, in this last principle in this. I can be confident the Lord is with me no matter what in this world. I can be confident the Lord is with me no matter what in this world. I want to help you this morning prepare, and I want you to take some, some good notes, not because I'm teaching, but because I believe you're going to need to pay attention to this. This is coming to America. I want to help prepare you to face the world you're living in and the one that your children and your grandchildren would definitely live in. What I want to do today is tempt you to attempt to give you a proper theology and understanding of suffering, because we are going to face it but we can do so with courage and confidence because the Lord is with us. The first reason that we can be confident in the Lord's presence, and it seems odd, but that is this, the promised persecution. The promised persecution. Back in verses 19 through 20, the king was filled with wrath, and and we see this, and he commands that the furnace is heated up seven times more. 
He just, he, he just goes kind of nuts. He goes a little bit crazy. But I need you to know this. The fire is coming for each and every one of us who is called a believer. The fire of persecution is headed our way. But you can be ready. And what we have here in our text is an illustration of what persecution is really all about. It's just heat the furnace up more. And the truth of the matter is that the further we go along as believers, as followers in Christ, the more you can expect the pressure and the heat from this culture to be turned upon us. 2 Timothy 3.1 says this, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Do you believe that? See, if you've been raised on, in your biology classes and were taught about evolution, evolution should teach you that things are going to get better, but you and I both know that that's not what's happening. Things are going to get progressively worse, and, and we as Christians who live in this Americanized version of our Bible just say, man, we hope it gets better. We certainly can make things better and entertain ourselves more and have more just conveniences, right? But that's not what's going to happen, friends. The last days are coming and difficult days are coming with it. I believe things are going to get tougher for believers. I believe that the heat of the furnace is going to be turned up in, at God's people as we approach the end time. It's coming, but I want you to know there's a promise of persecution, but there's the promise in it. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but let's look at the promise of persecution. The promise of it can be seen right here in the text when I look at the fury of persecution. Did you see the fury the fury of persecution. Back in verse 19, it says the king was filled with wrath. In verse 22, it says that, that his, his anger was so much that it even caused him to really even kill his own warriors. That's crazy to me. He's filled with wrath, so much so, if you look there, the Bible also says, in verse 19, that his facial expression was altered. The image of his face changed because he was so angry. And he was filled with such fury that just throwing people into a burning furnace wasn't good enough. It had to be heated seven times hotter than it normally was. This, fury, this furnace was heated so much so with the wrath of the king's fury that three other, uh, that, that several others were just completely consumed, just throwing the men into the furnace. As I've told you before, when you don't bow to the culture, they will get you to bend, and when you don't bend, they will try to burn you. But notice, not only was that fury of persecution, but then the fuel of persecution. The fuel. Back in verse 19 through 21, it says something. He said, Command that they get, they be tied up. And they were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes. Well, that's interesting to me. Why would he want to throw them in like that? Because he knew that that would just be more fuel for the fire. To burn them up in what they were wearing. Most likely, they would have been dropped down in an opening at the top of the furnace and another opening at ground level in front would give the king and his subjects a view of what happens to those who put their faith in these puny gods and disobey the gods of real power. Again, remember, Nebuchadnezzar had come into Israel and he had completely destroyed everything and taken people hostage. Therefore, his gods, in his opinion, were superior to any god these Hebrews had to offer. 
And so their immediate cremation would leave no doubt whose God was the best. This is the concept of the fuel of persecution. It fuels much of it today, like we see what's going on in the world right now. If you will not bow to Allah and his prophet Muhammad, off with your head. It's fueled with bitter hatred for the people of God. The three Hebrews were bound and thrown into the fiery furnace, fully clothed. As they perished, their last act of submission and obedience to this megalomaniac king was to push Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bound into the furnace. You see, an immoral, unbiblical, murderous, evil, radical, nonsensical obedience to those who are just as sinful as everybody else is what's behind a lot of persecution. We just, people just blindly follow people in the name of religion to kill other people. But practically, don't forget, they were still dressed. And I'm just telling you that the culture will use whatever you have and whatever they have to make sure that you burn. Nebuchadnezzar and his loyal pagan idolatrous subject can now sit back and watch what, in their opinion, would have been a human barbecue. And they wanted it to be an object lesson for everybody who pledges allegiance to, to any other God but the one that they say you must worship. That's the fuel of persecution. Now let's look at the fastening of persecution. The fastening in verse 20, it says, he commanded these warriors, he commanded them to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then it says later, that they fell in the midst of the fire in verse 23, still tied up. I want you to know that persecution always tries to come and take away your freedoms. It's the first thing that it's going to do. It's going to tie your mouth up. It's going to tie your hands and your feet up. It's going to tie you up so that you can't go where you need to go, do what you need to do, and say what you need to say. It will deny your freedom of speech quickly. It will deny your ability to communicate the truth because the truth is what sets people free. Then now let's look at actually the furnace of persecution. The furnace of persecution, look in verse 23. But he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. You see, it's not enough just to be furious. It's not enough just to simply to add fuel and to fasten you and remove your freedoms, but when you stand against Satan and his demons, or anybody who denies Christ, sometimes, listen to me, church, you and I have to be willing to face potential martyrdom for Christ. Love, the moment you decided to pick up, uh, to, to follow Jesus is the moment you told Jesus you were picking up your cross and you were ready to die. You see, if they persecuted Jesus, he promised us that they would persecute us. When it happens, though, some people are blown away. Some people are like, man, God, what are you doing? And they get mad at God, and they get angry at God, and they leave the church. But yet, 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. God has promised us that persecution is coming. So we shouldn't be surprised or think it's strange. Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, 22 and 23. 
Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Now, I can't tell you that I've leapt for joy when it's come my way. Normally, normally we just don't rejoice when we experience persecution, but have you ever wondered why God allows it? Have you ever wondered why persecution comes through the permissive will of God? Sometimes persecution is used for God to refine and purify our motives, and God oftentimes uses persecution to draw us closer to him and also to make us more bold in our witness. We don't like this promise of persecution. I know we don't. I don't. Let me put it to you boldly, like, in black and white, so that you know that this really is a promise. 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed. Like, count on this, truly, verily. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, say it with me, will be persecuted. And so we have to ask the question, well, if I'm not being persecuted, then what is missing? It's probably the desire to live godly. This is a promise. God said it's going to happen. God says if you live godly, you will be persecuted. And here's the truth. We've come to believe and we've been taught that God is with us in the persecution. Yes, he is. But if you believe the promise that God is with you in it, you also have to believe the promise that God says it's coming. You can't have one without the other. So we can't, we can't just go on pretending that when I come to Christ, everything's going to be easy. It's just believe it and name it and claim it, and, and just, it's just this life of blessings. I, I'm telling you, it, that is not the Christian life. I've come to believe in my own personal experience, actually, that persecution is really good for us. I'm not saying that we ask for it. I'm not saying we volunteer for it. But Pastor Jerry Fines, a great mentor of mine from old, once said this. He said, a Christian is like a tea bag. He's not worth much until he's been in some hot water. I'm just telling you, when you go through the fiery persecution, it draws you closer to the Lord. It makes you pray more. It causes you to grab a hold of your convictions a lot more. And God has a plan for every one of his promises. So if God has promised persecuting sin is coming, he's also got a promise in it. So let's look at that promise. I've labeled it the personal preservation. Personal preservation. In verse 24, he says... Nebuchadnezzar says, wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on here. We threw three dudes down in that furnace, but now all of a sudden there's four people, and all of a sudden they're, they're loose, they're walking about without harm, and, and there's something fishy going on, because one of them looks like a son of the gods. Well, just like we shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes, the people who are persecuting us shouldn't be surprised when something else comes. First of all, let's look at the surprise of his presence. There are at least five surprises there in verse 24. I don't know if you saw them or not. 
Allowing these three, uh, after throwing these three in the furnace, the king already, and already three, some others had been, been burnt up just by opening the furnace. The king, the Bible says he, he stood up in a hurry. And he asked this question, confused, didn't we throw three men in there? This is the first surprise because now there's four and not three. The second, excuse me, the second surprise is this, the men were loosed. I thought we bound them up. And then there's a third surprise. They're they're now walking around in the fire. How many of you know anybody who would just walk around in a fire? Like just walking around. Like me, I'm banging on the walls. I'm trying to get out. I'm saying, help, something is happening. But I'm not just walking around. And then fourthly, he's surprised that they hadn't died. They weren't harmed. Me too. I'm with you. And lastly, he's surprised that one of them looks like the son of the gods. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Nebuchadnezzar. I thought over in verse 15, look here at the last part of verse 15. Just turn your eyes to your text. The last part is, is Nebuchadnezzar asked, and what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? And now all of a sudden you see someone walking in the fire, looks like the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar, I think you probably picked on the wrong God. And now, they might have been surprised you threw them into the fire, but you're going to be surprised about who met them in the fire because the biggest surprise is this, the supernaturalness of his presence. Verse 25 says this, and I need you to look in your Bible because it says, look, I see four men, four men. It's incredibly important that you understand that this is a man. And then he goes on to say, the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God's. Now, later in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar calls this fourth person, look there, he says, and who has sent his angel, he says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, who has sent his angel. Nebuchadnezzar now calls this one an angel. And some people, some scholars here would say that this is a theophany. This is a manifestation of God's presence. And I would agree in part, but but I would go further to say, I think that this is actually a Christophany. The pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was in that fire with them. The God who did not deliver them from being thrown into the fire was the God who met them in the fire and then delivered them through the fire. So with confidence, I can boldly say to you that the fourth person in the furnace was the one I know and you know, this Christmas we'll talk about it, is Emmanuel, the God who is with us. You see, this is normal for Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared unto Abraham in the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ wrestled with Jacob in the Old Testament. Now here the Lord Jesus Christ assumes bodily form before his birth in Bethlehem and Jesus himself comes down into that fire. The Lord Jesus assumes a man form and comes down and walks into those flames and walks in that fire. And here's what I believe he said. I don't have proof of it, but just looking at the text, something like this had to happen. Jesus just probably looked at the flames and says, y'all cool it. And when he said that, or when his presence showed up, those flames lost their ability to hurt these three men. These flames lost their ability to burn anything on these three men. They even, 
these flames lost their ability to even put the smell on these three men. You see, Jesus is known for doing things like this because he stepped out on the edge of the boat in the midst of a raging sea, and he told the wind and the waves, he said what? Peace, be still. See, Jesus, this is not uncommon for Jesus. Beloved, we can be confident in the Lord's presence in this world no matter what we go through. And whenever you go through the fiery furnace, you, fiery furnace, you can count on it. The Lord Jesus is already there. And the Lord Jesus will protect you from the flames of the fire. You see, that's the promise of persecution, but there's the promise in it. There's the promise in it. Isaiah looked into this, and Isaiah said, in Isaiah 43, 2, he says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. <laughs> because every fiery furnace experience of your life, you can count on it. God is already there. He's going to walk through it with you. He will never leave you nor abandon you. Jesus Christ has given you the promise of persecution, but the promise in it that he is in it with you. You can be confident the Lord is with you no matter what. The promises of an ever-present Savior with his people are a resounding theme throughout the Bible. Exodus chapter 6, Exodus chapter 3, verses 6 and 12 say this. He said, also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 12 said, and he said, certainly I will be with you. He was with Moses. Matthew 28, you've heard this one. 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them. Hey, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Watch this. Now, this is important because then he also tells them that, listen, the way they treated me is the way they're going to treat you, and the way they tried to kill me will be the way. And some of you are going to die for my name's sake. But remember this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Romans 8, 37 through 39. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who, what church? Who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing. Hebrews 13, 5 says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will what? Never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14 says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you. We've read this. But, verse 13, to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, key, Keep on rejoicing, so that also the revelation of the glory you may rejoice with exultation. For if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and God rests on you. So why do bad things happen? Why me? I get that. I, I promise. I've asked those questions. But you have to know that when you're going through the fire, God sees and God knows and he cares to such a degree that he's in it with you and will never leave you. Now, I want to give you some theological math here. 
if I would ever teach math, this is how I would teach it. How many young men were thrown into that fiery furnace? Okay, good, church. We're, we're paying attention. When they looked into the furnace, how many did they see? But when they came out, how many came out? This is some theological math right here. You know why three only came out? Because there's one still in the fire. There's one still in the fire. And every time you go through it, he's there. He's never going to leave you or abandon you. He will never, ever leave the difficult things that you go through. But I think I told you this was theological math. Because think about it. The one who walked with them in and through the fire is the one who walked through the very fires of hell on our behalf so that we too would not have a single cell of our soul singed by the fiery flames that we actually deserve. Because you see, this whole scene prefigures Jesus Christ going through the cross and Jesus being gone into the fires of the judgment of the wrath of his Father on sin for us. And because he did, you and I can come out totally unharmed. Jesus' sacrifice still remains. His death is still in the fire for us. His sacrifice is still there paying for our sin. You see, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who in Christ. The hair on our head is not singed with judgment. Our clothes are not burned because of our sin. He took the flames of judgment so we could emerge in safety and not a trace of God's judgment rests anywhere on our bodies. Not even the smell of God's wrath is on me or on you if you are in Christ Jesus. And all that means is this, if he went into the ultimate fires of judgment for you, if Jesus went through the cross and suffered the flames of hell and the judgment of God for all of us, can he not now keep you from the stuff you go through in daily life? You see, the God who died for you in the fire is the God who can deliver you through the fire. I heard a long time ago someone tell me, he said, Steve, don't search for a faith that'll keep you from the fire. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. He will keep you through it. See, the presence of Jesus with these three Hebrews in the furnace and his presence will be with you in any furnace you go through. John Chrysostom was one of the great Greek fathers. He lived in AD 347 to 407. And as a young Christian, he was brought before the emperor because he kept preaching Jesus. And the emperor says, you must give up Christ or I'll banish you from the country. And Chrysostom said, he said, you cannot do that because my, my, my father owns all the country. The emperor said, well, now I'll take away your property. He says, you can't do that because my treasures are in heaven. The emperor then replied, well, then I'll take you to a place where there's not a friend to speak to. And Christophe said, he said, you cannot do that either because I have a friend who is closer than a brother. I shall have Jesus Christ to talk to forever. Finally, the emperor said, then I'll take away your life. And Christophe said, no, you can't do that either because my life is hidden with God in Jesus Christ. 
Beloved, today I'm telling you, you can be confident in the Lord's presence no matter what in this world because you have a promise of persecution, but there's a promise in it that Jesus will personally preserve you in the persecution. Then look at the perfect protection. Verse 27, this is crazy to me. They looked in there and they saw that the, the fire had no effect on their bodies, the hair, their head, their trousers, none of that, not even the smell of fire. Remember verse 15, he says, what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Well, he rightly attributes this to the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. He calls God the most high God. Earlier in verse 47 in chapter 2, he calls this the God of God and Lord of Lords. In Hebrews 13, 34, this is referred to as the God who quenched the violence of the fire. In verse 28, he talks about this is the God who's delivered those who've trusted in him. It is this God who saved and they, that wouldn't yield up their bodies rather than serve or worship any other God. Listen, he's got the, the idea right. This is God. God is the one. This is the God of heaven. And that's why you and I can be confident and have courage to live for Jesus because he still does miracles. This is God we're talking about. Think about it again. With these three men, young men came out of the fire, the king got his cabinet together, and the fire had no power on their bodies. Their bodies would not burn. Not a single head, a hair on their head was singed. Their coats had not been changed. The smell of fire not even put upon them. If you just have a bonfire this time of year and you get around a fire, you're going to leave smelling like the fire. Amen? These guys were thrown into a fiery furnace and came out and you couldn't even smell it. This is miraculous, people. God protected these boys so much so that the Bible says that they didn't even smell like smoke. That means that when God delivers and when God does anything, God does it perfectly, friends. God does everything completely and perfectly. I remember reading about this, this, this crippled man in Acts chapter 3, and Peter and his disciples are passing by this man, and he calls out for help, and they told him that they couldn't give him any money, but what they could give him was something far greater. In Acts chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, the Bible says, and seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. He entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Jesus healed that man completely. You see, when, when God does a thorough job, he always does a perfect job. When Jesus healed people, it wasn't a partial healing. When Jesus healed, he just didn't heal one eye and leave the other eye blind. When Jesus healed, he didn't just heal one ear and leave the other ear deaf. Jesus always does a complete job. One time in Mark, a demon-possessed man approached Jesus, and he had been bound with chains, but he kept breaking out of them. He was constantly cutting himself and screaming out loud. He was possessed by a legion, a legion of demons. The Bible says in Mark chapter 5, verse 15, they came to Jesus and observed that the man who had been demon-possessed was now sitting down clothed in his right mind. You see, when Jesus heals, he heals completely. Jesus does everything perfectly in our lives. And when you go through the fire, listen carefully. When you go through the fire, you're going to come out on the other end more whole than when you went into it. See, when you go in the fire, you're going to come out more healed on the other end than when you went into it. Because God is doing something in you and through you that the fire he uses for his glory. 
You see, when you and I were saved from our sins, there's not a single mark of judgment left on us. There's not even the remnant of any kind of sin's wages that are left on my account. Jesus has totally paid it all. He's totally become sin for me, and now I have totally become righteous in his sight. I am more whole now that I went through the fire with Jesus than I was before I went through it. Jesus is my perfect protection from sin and when I go through the fires of life. But then look at the precise power. Verse 26 and 27 tell us about it. Verse 26 tells us something that's really cool. It says, they came near to the door, and they looked in there, and he shouts, and he says, hey, come out. You servants of the Most High, come out. This is interesting, though. This is interesting. This precise power of God, I believe, first of all, is the power to tell us we leave the fire when we're called. God knows exactly the precise moment that he's going to call you out of whatever you're in right now. You and I will remain in the persecution. We will remain in the fire until the Lord precisely allows us to come out in his timing. This wasn't so much Nebuchadnezzar calling them out as it was Jesus allowing them out. There will come a point in time when you will come out of the fire. You will get through what you're going through because Jesus Christ is in control of it all. He's going to be faithful to be with you, and he will be faithful to bring you through it. You're going to get out when you're called. But secondly, you're going to leave the fire with no cords. Verse 25, the Bible tells me, he says, looked. These four men are loosed. That's interesting. Verse 27, the Bible says that they gathered in these garden and saw they had no effects on these bodies and that these men completely come out, and, and now there's something that has happened. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but it's in the fire that we get loose from the things that we were worried about before the fire. You see, in the fire, we're freed from the precise things that would hold us back from serving God greater. It's in the fire that we're freed in such a way that when we get out, we're never the same. These men came out loosed. They went in tied. They came out loosed. And that's the only thing the fire burned. The only thing that changed was that they came out free. The fire will burn away those things that tie you up. When you face the hard things, you don't think that you can persevere through. God will free you from that. They look in and he says, I saw three men bound. Now I see four men loose. And I'm going to tell you something. And maybe you can just take me to task on this. But there are some things, I'm just telling you, I've walked with the Lord long enough to know this. There's some things you can't get free from unless you go through the fire with Jesus. There's just going to be some things that you can't get free from in your life unless you go through a really difficult time with the Lord Jesus. And here's what I'm going to tell you. When you go through the fire with Jesus, you're never going to come out the same. You will never come out the same. I think about Martin Luther, that monk who was trying desperately to find God and salvation. And then he began to read the book of Galatians and discovered that the just shall live by faith and not by works. And he was excommunicated from his church those were just the bonds that bound him. 
If he hadn't walked through being excommunicated, he would have never been free. God set him free to be a blessing to the whole world. And I'm telling you, when you come to Jesus, he sets you free from your sin. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. I remember this week as I was preparing this message, I thought about the season that I'm in. Thursday and Friday and Saturday, Actually, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I went away on a personal prayer retreat, and I spent, I'm not trying to brag, I'm just telling you what I did. I spent hours seeking the heart of God, and one night, about 10.30 at night, it was actually on Friday evening, I was on my face before my God, praying and interceding for my family. And I heard God tell me, Steve, you're coming out. This season is changing. It's time, Steve. You've been in long enough. You've learned what I wanted you to learn. You're coming out. The next morning, I sent one of the most difficult text messages I've sent in the past four years of my life. And it was met with the most overwhelming touch of grace I've almost ever had in my life. And something that I thought would never happen will happen this Thursday at 11 o'clock. Because God said it was time. And now I'm free. See, because that's his precise power. Then let's look at the prophetic praise real quickly. Two more, we're done. I promise we won't hold you longer. The prophetic praise because something's happening here that's again pointing to something else. Verse 28, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar responds, says, hey, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel delivered, who put their trust in him. Watch this, violating the king's command. <laughs> you were so ticked that they violated it before and now you're praising God that they did? You are a maniac, friend. But that's what God does. Oh, friends, that's what God does. He's prophetically praising Jesus as the most high God. Because there's coming a day when every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's just doing what everybody else one day will be forced to do whether they want to or not. This culture can try to get you to to bow. This culture can get you to bend. Then they're going to try to burn you. But in the end, friends, I'm just telling you, man, we'll all bow down to Jesus and we'll bend our lives to him and worship and we'll get burning hot with white heart worship for the king of kings. There's a human reward here, though. Verse 28 says, hey, man, Man, let's just, let's just praise the Lord. See, the king saw that they had put their faith in God. The king saw that they were willing to sacrifice themselves rather than disobey their Lord. But see, we've read this before. This is ultimately our human reward, is Matthew 5, 16. Is let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
That's the ultimate human reward is that we get to actually point people to Jesus. The ultimate human reward here is not anything that I get that makes my life better. The ultimate human reward that satisfies my soul is knowing that my life has brought God glory. And then look at the heavenly redeemer of the faithful. Verse 29, therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive, and then he goes to say, now what I was going to do to people before, now I'm going to do to them for worship if they don't worship this God, because now there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. <laughs> I thought you asked earlier, who is the God who will be able to deliver you? But now you're saying there is no other God who do, can deliver like the God of Israel. Because you see, this is prophetic yet again. Because I told you, pay attention when you see nations, tongues, and tribes, because something significant is going to happen. Because in Revelation chapter 7, 9, and 10, the Bible says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one can tell from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, watch this, clothed, <laughs> In white robes. I'm going to do some preaching on that one day. But you see that one of the reasons they're white, not the only reason, one of the reasons they're white, is because the flames of God's fire of judgment can't touch those who are in Christ. And the palm branches are in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying what? Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, the world will not be unified by the greatness of some earthly kingdom, by Babylon or Great Britain or, Britain or America, but by a Savior who went into the flame of judgment for his people and keeps us 100% safe from all harm. And we help move the world to that worship by determining now to bow only to Jesus and to get up every day believing, as we learned last week, that God is able, expect that he will, and trust him if he doesn't deliver us from persecution. But lastly, very quickly, we can be confident of God's presence no matter what because of the purifying promotion. Verse 30, he says, Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. <laughs> well, we got to talk about the selfish prospering first. It's clear that Nebuchadnezzar once again experienced conviction, but I'm telling you, he didn't experience conversion. Like the beast, the Antichrist of Revelation 13, he still will have an, an image that citizens must bow to worship or they will die. This is never going to change. People are going to try to prosper themselves selfishly and promote themselves to be God. But like that beast, he is too badly mistaken, just like Nebuchadnezzar was, and anyone who attempts to put themselves in God's place will be sadly mistaken. But then let's look at the sanctifying, prospering. In the events here, the king promoted these three Hebrew positions in the kingdom and caused them to prosper. Now let me help you what that means in modern day life. I looked at some and I can tell you they're out there. There are some that teach this and says, see, this is why God wants you to prosper. This is why God wants you to be rich. This is why God wants you to have health and wealth and prosperity, because it says so right there in the Bible. But let's put that in the context of what it came from, in persecution. 
Because they had already decided that God is able and expected He, but they were going to do what? They were going to worship God even if He what? See, context is king in understanding the promises of the Bible. This, this prospering here is pointing to a different kind of prospering in the context of persecution, friends. God has a way of using suffering to bring, bring God's people to glory. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You see, that suffering brings glory. Not just believing God wants me to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. The pathway to glory is paved with fiery furnaces. 2 Corinthians 4.17, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It doesn't seem like it's just in a moment. It seems like it's an eternity when you're going through it, but yet it is producing something for us in eternity. He is saying that the fiery furnace you're going through, God is going to use that experience to bring about a far more exceeding and eternal work of glory in your life. That's the prospering he's talking about. So I can be confident in the Lord's presence no matter what in this world because of the promised persecution, the personal preservation, the perfect protection, the precise power, the prophetic praise, and the purifying prospering of the Lord. So let me ask you as the team comes. Are you going through the furnace right now? Maybe your furnace is only known to you and the Lord and you haven't let many people know about it. But can I tell you there's a verse in Malachi that ought to be an encouragement to you if you are like me and have been or are going through the fire. Malachi 3.3 says it this way. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. See, this is an amazing picture of God. You may have heard this before, but God here is pictured as a silversmith. And silver has to go into the fire, friends. A silversmith takes the silver and puts it in a crucible. Then he turns up the fire and he puts it under that crucible. And as the heat begins to rise, the crucible gets really hot and the silver begins to turn to liquid and it begins to settle to the bottom. And the impurities in the silver rise to the top. And then the silversmith takes the skimmer and he skims across the top of it and removes what is called the dross, the impurities that are in the silver, and he takes them and he casts them away. The silversmith knows how to perfectly regulate the flame. It is not the purpose of the silversmith to ruin the silver, but to purify the silver. So the heat goes up, the impurities rise, and they're taken away. How long does that process continue? That's what you're asking. When does the silversmith know that the job is done? How does he know how long before he might burn the silver or spoil the silver or turn the silver? He knows the silver is ready to come out of the fire when he looks into the silver and sees a reflection of his own face. And when he can see the reflection of his own face, he knows that all impurities have been removed. If you are in the fire this morning, does it feel to you like it's mighty hot? 
and you're wondering, how long, oh Lord? All I can tell you is that God knows what he's doing. And it's not to hurt you. It's to make you look more like Jesus so that you can present offerings in righteousness. He's going to keep doing it until he sees his son in you. Because that's why you and I were put here on this earth, was to bring him glory. And when you become like Jesus in whatever he's working, he will take you out of the fire. So I want to challenge you to not be quenched. I mean, to not be those men who would, would hold on to their selfishness rather than be quenched and thrown into a fire. I want to ask you, don't bow down to anyone other than King Jesus in your life. Don't bend to the pressures of those who would try to make you conform. Because I'm telling you this, if you will stand strong in this culture, and if you will not bow to this world and you will not bend this world, you're certainly not going to burn by this world. One of these days, we're going to come out on the other side. So would you stand with me and would you pray? If you're within the sound of my voice today, maybe by way of radio or internet or even here in this room or maybe out in the hallway, maybe over in the cafe area, and you have never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, today I'm asking you to allow what he did, that he would go to an old rugged cross and he would die there to suffer the wrath of God for your sin. A voluntary sacrifice because he loves you so much. That he would suffer his father's wrath rather than you be separated from the father because you are so loved. And today, if you just be willing to turn from your sin and, and give your sin to Jesus and trust that he died, was buried, and raised for you, you can be forgiven, you can be changed. You can be saved from the wrath of God. You can be made right with God. There'll be some men and women that'll be down here to receive you, maybe to pray that way. Others of you, if you just need to simply come down and pray because you're in the fire, maybe somebody you know is in the fire, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would meet them here in this room. Maybe you'd call some out. Maybe you'd remind some.